So, this first section is called verbal idioms. Now we're getting into micro studies. The first section is called, yeah, sorry. The first section is called verbal idioms. And let me explain what an idiom is first, and we'll discuss a few examples of them. There's lots of them in the notes, but I'll just give you a few of them. The ones that are particularly interesting, inshallah, and then that should give you an idea. In any language, there is a way of saying something directly, like you say, for example, uh, I gave. I gave. But there's a difference between saying I gave and I gave up. Because when you say I gave, that means I gave time, I gave money, I gave a gift, I gave a present, etc. But when you say I gave up, what does that mean? Can you give it, can you say it in other words in English, I gave up? I quit. I quit. In other words, you had the word gave, if you look up the meaning of gave in the dictionary, it'll say something about giving something. I don't know how they define it, the act of contributing or something. But when you say gave up, did the meaning change entirely? Sure, sure. Similarly, even a single word. For example, you have the word sight. S-I-T-E, sight. If you talk to a construction worker, he's thinking of the construction site. If you talk to a web developer, he's thinking of the website. You understand? Similarly, you have a word like journal. Journal. If you talk to an accountant, he's thinking of the accounting journal. If you're talking to an academic, he's thinking about the academic journal. If you're talking to a story writer or a 14-year-old girl, she's thinking about a personal journal. Dear diary, <laughs> today was a wonderful day, <laughs> you know. So journal can mean different things to different people. In other words, you cannot just learn language by looking words up in a dictionary and saying, this is what this word means. Every word means one thing. Language is alive, it's dynamic, it's used different ways. They are figures of speech. And that's the other thing. You can say verbal idioms are a kind of figure of speech. So let me give you an example of an English figure of speech. Now, you know, when something is really awesome, we say in English, sometimes we say it's cool. It's cool. But as the language changes, I'm not keeping up anymore, but there are other ways of saying it's cool. It's popping, it's cracking, it's, you know, whatever. They have different ways of saying it. And every 10 years, it completely changes. It completely changes. But if you don't know the expression, that's cool, and you walk into Malaysia, and you get to the airport, and you look at the palm tree and say, that is cool. And the cab driver says, no, actually, it's hot. <laughs> so, <laughs> because that's a figure of speech. I'm not talking about the temperature. I'm just saying, this is nice. You understand? So sometimes the words are not, you cannot take them literally. In any language, sometimes you cannot take the words literally, you have to take them figuratively. Similarly, when I say, what's up? What's up? What does that mean? How are you? What's going on in your life, etc., etc. What's up? I don't say what's up to you, like, let me check. <laughs> like, you don't do that, because that doesn't make any sense. You understand? But you would not know that if somebody memorized the whole dictionary and then came to New York. They know the word what, they know the word is, they know the word up. Now they land at the airport, they go to the taxi driver, he looks at him, what's up man? He goes, no, I, I was up, I already landed. <laughs> you know, it's not gonna work. So the Quran actually from back in the day, from the time of the Arabs, even before Islam, they had some figures of speech. They had some expressions. And they used them a lot. 
And Allah used them in the Quran. This is important now. They were, they were already using it, and Allah used it too. In other words, if you really want to understand what Allah is saying, you have to understand how they were using it before. You get, me what, I'm, you get what I'm saying? So here's the first one. It's called coolness of the eyes. Qurrata a'yun. Coolness of the eyes. And what in the world does coolness of the eyes mean? Literally, you can take a banana peel and cool your eyes. But the Arabs actually used coolness of the eyes and warmth of the eyes back in the day. Let me explain what they mean. They would say, Askhan Allahu Aynahu, may Allah roast or may Allah warm his eyes. They used to say that when they cursed someone. I hope you, sh you cry so much out of sadness that your eyes become warm. I hope Allah warms your eyes, means I hope you shed tears of sorrow. We don't say that nowadays, I hope Allah warms your eyes, warms your eyes, <laughs> warms my eyes, I'm going to stand next to a microwave, what do you want me to do? <laughs> but warms your eyes means may you suffer sadness, may you shed tears of sorrow, that's what that means. The opposite of warming the eyes is what? Cooling the eyes. Now, let me tell you what cooling the eyes means. And I'll compare warming the eyes and cooling the eyes. Cooling the eyes actually means shedding tears of joy. When you're shedding tears of joy, you're so happy you're crying, that's called cooling the eyes. When you're so sad you're crying, that's called warming the eyes. So let me give you a comparison. You go to the airport and there are two mothers. There are two mothers. One mother is at the departure terminal, one mother is at the arrival terminal. One mother, her son is coming back. One mother, her son is leaving. They're both crying. Which mother's eyes are cool? The arrival's mother. She sees her son, she cries, but these are tears of what? Joy, tears of happiness. The mother who's saying goodbye to her son, her eyes are what? Warm, because those are tears of sadness. So you understand the, the, the idea of coolness of the eyes being tears of joy, tears of happiness. That's number one. And we'll come back to this idea. But there's more to it. There's more. The Arabs would say that when they are traveling in the desert, by the way, when the Arabs traveled in the desert, they wore a lot of heavy clothes. And you would think, why are they wearing heavy clothes? It's a desert. But actually, this was a way of protecting themselves. Sometimes heavy clothes are the best protection against extremely hot weather. And they would wrap up their entire face too. Their turbans were huge. They were used to wrap up their whole face. The only part they could not wrap up was the eyes. Now there's a sandstorm. When there's a sandstorm, you have to wrap up your face, but you cannot afford to cover your eyes. The camel does not have that problem. Allah created the camel in an amazing way. Its eyelid traps the sand and drops it down like a wiper system. Like, you know, it, it does that. So that's that's Allah, Allah's creation, you know. But the human being doesn't have that. So the sand is hitting the eyes and his eyes are burning. And he used to say that my eyes are warmed. And finally he finds some kind of cave or a dune or something. And he gets some relief and he says, finally my eyes have become cold. In other words, eyes becoming cold is also used, or cool eyes was also used to find relief. The first meaning of cool eyes is tears of joy. The second meaning is what? Relief. Relief. Like you're in a storm and you finally found relief. 
Similarly, a poet used to use my, like back in the day, I know some of you are video game people, so you know Assassin's Creed and stuff, but back in the day they used to have assassins. Every tribe had assassins, people that are used to kill others. So this tribe has an assassin, and they sent him to kill the enemy, to kill the leader of the other tribe, because the, the tribe attacked them, and they want revenge, so they sent their assassin guy to kill the other guy, and this assassin's also a poet. So he makes poetry and he basically says, I'll make it simple for you, he basically says, my tribe's eyes will stay warm and the blood of my enemy will cool them. So when I kill my enemy, their eyes will finally become what? Cool meaning they'll finally feel relieved. Like their anger and their sadness will go away when I kill that guy. So I, I have the job of cooling my tribe's eyes by killing that guy. That's what he's saying. So, relief and what? Tears of joy. Allah Azza wa Jalla says in the Quran, Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yun. Allah says in the Quran, Ya Allah, O Allah, give us from our spouses and our children the coolness of the eyes. What in the world does that mean? That means that our spouses and our children are supposed to be refuge from a storm. The outside world is a storm. It's full of problems. It's full of stress. It's full of difficulty. And when I come back to my wife, when the wife comes back to the husband and the children, then finally they have what? Refuge. They feel safe. The storm cannot hit them anymore. And it also, and, and so they have refuge, they have protection. It's kind of sad because for a lot of people, the storm is not outside the house. The storm is inside the house. And so when the storm is inside the house, your eyes stay warm inside the house. And the only way you can cool them is to get out of the house. And so Allah is teaching me and you a dua, Ya Allah, I want a house that when I go back, I am relieved. I want peace in my house. I don't want fighting in my house. I don't want arguments in my house. I don't want disobedient children that are disrespecting me in my house. I don't want a wife that's always angry. I don't want a husband that's always upset. I want a happy house. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yun. Ya Allah, I don't just want a happy house. I want a happy house that is so happy that when I come home from work and I see the wife and I see the kids, it makes me so happy that I cry. That's how happy I want to be. What a beautiful dua, isn't it? Qurrata ayun, tears of joy. Ya Allah, I want tears of joy from my spouse and my children. Right now, they are tears. <laughs> then you go a little further. Allah Azza wa says that Musa alayhi salam's mother, Musa alayhi salam's mother, when she finally, you know, when she left the baby and the baby was gone in the water and her heart was fluttering away and she was in deep depression and she didn't know what to do and finally Allah reunited her with her baby. And Allah says, So her eyes could become cool. When the baby finally came back, she, last time she saw her baby, it was in a river. And then it disappeared. She doesn't know what happened. Next time she sees her baby in the castle and it's crying and she can hear the voice of her baby crying. She hasn't even entered the room yet, she can hear the crying and she's already starting to cry. But is that cry for sadness or happiness? 
That's happiness. So she grabs the baby. And so she's crying and crying and crying because she's so happy. And Allah says, عينها, So her eyes could become cool. So she can cry, but cry with happiness. You see the meaning? So beautiful. This reunion between the mother and child is captured in the coolness of the eyes. Then also, Allah Azza wa describes in the Quran, Fir'aun's wife. Fir'aun's wife. Is she living a happy marriage? No. no. If you're confused about that, speak with me later. She's not in a happy marriage. <laughs> so Fir'aun's wife is terrified of Fir'aun. So she's in an abusive relationship. Her husband is psychologically abusive, maybe even physically abusive, we don't know. Because she did ask Allah to rescue her from him. And she's in a difficult problem because when she asked, Najini min Fir'auna wa amalihi, rescue me from Fir'aun and the things that he does, it could mean he does things to her. It's possible. Or it could be the things he does to other people. I don't want any part of it. So she's worried about that. And, but she can't call the authorities, she can't call the police against Fir'aun because he owns the police. She can't complain to the government because he's the government. She can't run off to another village, he owns all of them. What is she going to do? She's stuck. The only one who can rescue her is Allah. So she says, Najini min Fir'auna wa amalihi. But why, why am I bringing her up? Because when she discovered Musa السلام, at the water, she picked him up. She brought him to Fir'aun. And she's scared of Fir'aun. We already know this. She's already terrified of Fir'aun. But she found the courage to grab the baby and bring him to Fir'aun. And this is one of the most amazing movie scenes in the Quran. This woman walks into the court, he's got generals around him, he's, you know, because there's a military campaign going on to kill all the children. And she walks in with a baby that's supposed to be killed because his color is different from the Egyptians. His skin color is different. So he's supposed to be killed right away on sight. But she brings him in anyway. And she walks into the court and all the generals are like, oh, what's going on? There's a baby in the room. And they're discussing killing thousands of babies and one of them is in the room. Awkward. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> this is a really strange scene. And what does she do? She says, first thing she says, li. She says, this child, he cools my eye. He cools my eye. Now I'll give you the third meaning of coolness of the eye. Qarra doesn't just mean to cool. Qarra also means when something stays in one place. When something stays in one place. This is why you get the word qarar from this. When something stays in one place. She's saying to Fir'aun, this baby is so cute. When I look at him, my eyes stay on him. I don't look at anything else. Would you go Like that's she's stuck in the baby. Some of you that are how many people married here? Married? Inna lillahi wa inna So you got married and you're Everything was going great, you love your wife and all of it, then she was expecting and she had the baby and all of a sudden you felt like an orphan because every time you come to the wife, what's she doing? You're like, what about me? Like, <laughs> you don't exist when she's holding her baby. Because her eyes, her eyes stay entirely on the baby. So she walked in and said, look at this baby, he's so cute, I can't even take my eyes off of him. And then she's also saying at the same time, look at this baby, he's the coolness of my eye because you are the warmth of my eye. I need some coolness. This is my coolness, please. 
I need to keep this baby. I, you need to understand my situation. I'm married to you. I need some relief. <laughs> this baby is my relief. You see the case that she's making? But then she doesn't stop there. It's so awesome. She says, Walak, and watch this. He can also calm you down. Why don't you look at him? Can you take your eyes off of him? So she takes baby Musa salam and sticks him in Fir'aun's face. And Fir'aun was just discussing what? Killing babies. And he's looking at Musa salam. He's, like, he's trying not to look. But when he looks, when he looks, something happens. He can't take his eyes off of the baby either. He got stuck in the baby's face. And even he went, <laughs> his generals were confused. Everybody's like, what's going on here? This is, uh, sir, can we discuss killing babies again? Or, like, you can't. Everything changed. It's an amazing, amazing scene. And on that note, I do want to tell you one more thing. This is part of story night, but who cares? I'll tell you. This is, you know, this woman is so smart. She sees that Firaun is looking at the baby and his face changed. You know when adults look at a cute baby, and the condition is it has to be cute. But if you look at a cute baby, then your face changes. You're, even if you're grumpy and you're usually in a bad mood and all of it, when you see a cute baby, it's just, you know. And those of you that are married and have multiple children, then you know your, hus your husband, at least he thinks one of them is cute. I know it's not fair. But if you want your husband to do something for you, bring the cute one. I want to go shopping. <laughs> Don't just go and say, I want to go shopping. Bring the cute baby. Firaun's face changed. Who noticed? The wife noticed. She says, La Okay, now that you're staring at him, don't kill him. Firaun says nothing, because he's still lost in the baby. Then she says, Asa an Maybe he could be good to us. Maybe we could keep him as a servant. He still didn't say anything. She said, maybe I should ask some more. Oh, maybe we could adopt him as our own, our own kid. And she, they ended up adopting him. But all of it because the baby was put in Firaun's face. And his eyes, even his eyes, his eyes became cool. He's, he lives a life of rage and hate. Even tyrants are depressed. Even they're depressed. And they, he looks at the baby and he calms down. And she gets to negotiate with him. And a huge part of the negotiation was the coolness of the eyes that was offered through Musa Now, finally, about coolness of the eyes. One of the most remarkable stories we read in the Quran is when Musa had an opportunity to speak with Allah. Surah Taha, Musa spoke with Allah. Now, when you meet someone important, you want to remember it forever. There are some ulama that I've had the chance to meet with in my life for once, one time, and they passed away. And that memory is stuck in my head. Because I got to meet them. It was such an honor that I met them. There are some people who you never thought you would ever meet in your life, and you ran into them. You met them. And it becomes a memory you will never, ever, ever forget. Usually you'll try to remember it. If you're in Malaysia, you'll take a picture. You'll make sure of it. No, no. If you're in Malaysia, you'll take at least three pictures. Hold on, hold on, one more. <laughs> and all the while, I don't know you're making a video, actually. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so you, 
you will try to remember that scene. And you know, back in the day, even our parents and you know, elders, when they met someone important, when they shook hands with a president, or when they graduated, or when they met some important person, they took a picture, they framed the picture in their house. They remind people, look, I met this person. They remember it their whole life. Actually, whenever you have a conversation with anyone, you just bring it up. By the way, I met Mufti Mink. <laughs> you know, just you, you slip it in. You know, that's what I do. You know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I don't have much to say, but I've hung out with Mufti Mink before. Yeah, yeah, really. He's real. You know, so, so, so now having said that, Musa alayhi salam is speaking with who? He's speaking with Allah. He's speaking with Allah. He's speaking with Allah. You think he'll ever forget? There's one conversation he will never forget. You will never speak to anyone more important than Allah Himself. If there's one memory, all of humanity cannot forget that conversation. How can Musa salam forget? But even Musa was told when he was up on the mountain salam, wa aqimis salata li dhikri. Establish salah so you can really remember me. The real way to remember me will be what? Salah. I brought that up because there's a really beautiful hadith of the Prophet related to coolness of the eyes that I want you to appreciate. Rasulullah says, Ju'ilat qurratu aynaya fi salah. Qurratu aynaya fi salah. The coolness of my eyes was put inside the prayer. The coolness of my eyes was put inside the prayer. I need you to understand why. And why did I bring up Musa salam? Musa salam had the most beautiful conversation with Allah. But in that conversation, Allah told him to go talk to who? Fir'aun. So he's just had the most beautiful conversation, and then he's going to have the ugliest conversation ever. Because he has to talk to the worst man ever. Fir'aun. Exact opposite, isn't it? You get to talk to Allah, then you have to talk to Fir'aun. Now, the thing is, the conversation with Allah will give you relief. It'll cool your eyes. But the conversation with Fir'aun might warm your eyes. You understand? So now, Rasulullah sallallahu all day, what does he have to do? Talk to Quraysh. Is that easy or hard? It's very difficult. It gets harder and harder. They get more and more insulting. They get more and more aggressive. They get more and more disrespectful. And, also, and by the way, if you have a clean heart, then you're more sensitive. So when somebody says bad words to you, it hurts more. When you are dirty yourself, you use bad words all the time yourself. When somebody says bad words to you, you're like, ha, ah, bring it. No problem. But when you're a decent person and you hear foul language, then it really hurts. Rasul hears foul language from them. He hears curses from them. He hears allegations from them. He gets made fun of by them. He gets tortured by them every single day. And it gets not, doesn't get better the next day. It gets worse the next day and worse the next day and worse the next day. And it's not like he can do less effort the next day. He has to do even more effort the next day. He has to keep moving forward. He needs some relief. He's in a storm all the time. So he says, my relief from the storm was put inside the salah. It completely changes your perspective. Because you know, all the time he's shedding tears of sorrow. Now salah became a time to shed tears of joy. And that's the, that's the last thing I want to tell you about Qurratu Ain. I'm spending a lot of time on this one because it's important. The idea that we are supposed to cry in Salat is true. But usually when you think of crying, you think of sadness. So people think of crying when they're listening to ayat about Jahannam. 
But you know what? The Quran should also make you and me cry, not just out of sadness, but out of coolness of the eyes, which means out of joy. When you're listening, reciting ayat about children, when you're listening to ayat about gifts and rizq, and what Allah does for you and how He protects you, that should move you to joy, to tears. That should happen. And I pray Allah gives all of us that and lots of it, especially in the month of Ramadan. That was the first one. You guys okay to move on? Okay. Next one. وَاخْفِضْ لَهُمَا جَنَاحَ الذُّلِّ مِنَ الرَّحْمَةِ I'll go rather quickly with this one because we have lots and lots of them to do. But hopefully you get a taste of you know, these. It says, خَفَضَ لَهُ جَنَاحَهُ That's the expression to lower your wings. To lower your wings. Now the problem with saying this guy lowered his wings is, the first problem is the guy doesn't have wings. So what in the world does it mean to lower the wings? When you say to someone you're lowering your wings or you're raising your wings, رَفَعَ لَهُ جَنَاحَهُ خَفَضَ لَهُ جَنَاحَهُ They use both of them. Or عَلَى جَنَاحَهُ He elevated his wings. Then you're comparing a person to what? You're comparing a person to a bird. You're comparing a person to a bird. So first understand that comparison. When a bird raises its wings, what is it about to do? It's about to fly. When the, raise low, when the bird lowers its wings, it's about to land. So when the bird is going up, it raises its wings. When the bird is going down, it lowers its wings. So the idea of lowering the wings is come back down to the earth. Come back down to the earth, land down. Now obviously when a bird has wings, it has the ability to raise them anytime it wants. It has the ability to fly anytime it wants, but it still chooses to lower them. It's not forced to lower them, it can do it, on, it's, it's a choice that it makes. This is an ayah about our relationship with our parents. Lower for them, for your mother and your father, lower for them the wings of humility. Allah added the word humility, we'll come back to that in a second. And do it out of love and mercy for them. Min rahma Now let's understand this a little bit, it's very powerful. When you were little, they took, did everything for you. When a bird is small, can it fly? No. The mother has to go and get all the food and bring it back to the nest for the chicks, yes? Because the bird itself does not have what yet? Doesn't have wings yet, it can't fly on its own yet. It's completely dependent on the parents. Are we like that when we're babies? Absolutely, we are completely dependent on our parents. They clean us, they take us to the bathroom and clean us up, we burp on them, we throw up on their clothes, and they wipe that off and still give us a hug anyway. We cry over and over again and they calm us down, they, we, they give us food, they give us drink, they protect us, they take us to the doctor, they give us medicine, they do all of it, all of it. Then we get older. Then now we're 20, we're 30, we're 40. And they get older too. And when they get older, they get weaker. But they don't just get weaker, they also get angrier. And they get also maybe hard to deal with for you. They get, they get, they get annoyed very easily. It takes very little to agitate them. But now that you're 30, or you're 20, or you're 25, you have your own job. You have your own money. You have your own car. You have your own family. You have your own everything. Which means you can fly on your own. You can raise your wings, can't you? Allah says when you're dealing with them, I know you have wings, but you need to what? Lower them. 
And adhul actually means weakness. In other words, I know that you have powerful wings, but when you're with your parents, act like you don't have wings at all, like they don't work. So you don't tell your parents, you know, Dad, I'm an adult now. You can't talk to me like that anymore. You know, Mother, I'm in college, okay? Someone saying that is raising their wings. Allah is saying, I got you. I know you got wings. I know. Put them down. The idea is that a bird can fly and it still chooses to stay down. It still chooses to stay down. Now, why should you do it? He says, min ar-Rahmah. Because of mercy. Because of mercy. Which actually means three things. I'll mention at least three things to you. One, you should have love and mercy for you. Love and care. Remember Rahmah was love and care? Because of the love and care they showed you, this is time for you to show love and care. This is now, yes, they're annoying, and they're loud, and they get easily angry, and they argue with you, and they don't understand, and they still criticize. Why are you doing this? Why are you driving like that? Why are you sitting like that? Why did you buy that? Why are you moving over there? Why are you getting that apartment? Why did you get that job? Why are you getting married? Why do you name your child that? Why, are you, why is your child going, going to that school? Why, 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 why? And you're like, I, don't, I can't have the time to explain to you, okay? Just let me live my life. You know? But you know what? A few years ago, when you were like this, and your mom said, okay, time to go to the bathroom, why? <laughs> time to eat, why? Get in the car, why? <laughs> why can't I have everything? Why do you hate me? Why do you, why do you, why do you? And you used to talk a lot. And they put up with you. What does Allah do? As the time goes by, Allah reverses the roles. He reverses the roles. And actually, that's not just me making that up. It's in the Quran, the, revo- the role reversal. I'll explain to you in a second. The first meaning of min rahmah is the love and care they showed you. Because of that love and care, you should show them love and care. The second meaning of min rahmah is actually that you, the, 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 the genuinely are supposed to have love and care for your parents. And the true meaning of love and care will be when you're humble to them. You cannot raise your voice at your mother and then tell her, I love you. You know I love you, right, mom? But sometimes you're just so bad. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. You can't start with, I love you, dad, but... Can't do that. The third meaning is the most powerful to me. You want Allah's rahmah, you better show them rahmah. You better humble your wings. You better clip your wings when you're dealing with your father and your mother. And Allah will sometimes test you by making your parents unusually agitating. He will make them say things that they will never say to anyone else, but they'll say them to you. And He will make them say things that are so utterly ridiculous that they will boil your blood and you will want to say, what are you talking about? And that will be the test from Allah on whether or not you lowered your wings. It's pretty awesome. My dad used to do this with me until my mom helped me figure it out. My dad said the most ridiculous things just to see what I would do. And I would just go crazy. No, dad, you can't say that. That's not right. My dad one time he said, you know, there's this uh, Christian preacher 
I listen to him all the time. He's very good. <laughs> We're just driving back from the masjid. And like, there's this Christian guy. I listen to him. He's very good. It's like, you can't, dude, you can't listen to the Christian dad. You know, I don't even know where to begin. And he says, you should listen to him. You'll learn something. And then my mom pulled me aside and she said, my stupid son, listen carefully, just go along with it, agree with it. Don't correct him, don't respond, just go along. But I can't, it's wrong. She says, calm down, just do it. Next time we're driving, he says, you know that Christian preacher, he's really good. I was like, you know what, Dad? You're right. He is really good. I was listening to him the other day. He goes, you better not listen to him. <laughs> it was all a test. <laughs> but the beautiful, the, the second meaning of lowering the wings, that's where the beauty is, man. The first meaning is, humble yourself, calm down. Don't raise your wings, lower them. I know you know how to fly, but don't fly in front of your parents. Calm down, chill out. Second meaning. There's a snake is about to attack the nest and the nest is full of eggs or baby chicks or whatever and the mother bird is so scared for her children that it lowers its wings over the nest and the snake is biting the, net, the bird but it still doesn't move itself because it's trying to protect what? Its children. Lowering the wings for a bird is used as an expression of the, the parent sacrificing themselves for the child. But the ayah is not about parents sacrificing themselves for the child. The ayah is actually about the children sacrificing themselves for the parent. You see how the roles got reversed? Now it's time for you to be the bird that lowers the wings. They protected you. Time for you to protect them. Which is why the last part of it, is actually reversal of those roles. That's what the dua is. Ya Allah, show them love and care like they took care of me and allowed me to grow when I was small. You know? SubhanAllah. Okay. You guys are good to move along. One more before I give you a break. It's one o'clock already. Wow. Time flies. It says, lisani." Untie the knot afflicting my tongue. Untie the knot that is hurting my tongue. Now a knot is not in a tongue. Where's a knot? In a string. Shoe strings have a knot. Wires have a knot. Right? Thread has a knot. So what does the knot have to do with the tongue? What is this expression about? They say, for, first of all, when you have a, imagine a string, it's all jumbled up. Right? It's all like one, one thing going into the other, into the other. Like, you know, your cables. Do you know how long it is? When, you, when it's like that? No. Do you know where it begins and where it ends necessarily? No. Sometimes three different wires are mi mixed together. You're holding the wire like, which one is this one? You have to untangle it to see which one is which one, right? In other words, when wires are tangled together, when string is tangled together, the idea is that things are confusing. When you untangle them and you straighten it out and every string is separated, then things become what? Clear. Untie the knot in my tongue, the first meaning of it is, give me clarity in speech. When I speak, sometimes I'm not clear. When I speak, sometimes everything is mixed up together. 
This is the dua of Musa salam when he was going to speak publicly, when he was going to speak in front of Fir'aun. You know, some of you, when you have to speak publicly, you get nervous. Some of you came up to the mic and you spoke, and you're very brave, but some of you, you're thinking about coming and you're asking yourself, what's going to happen? People will see me. He might say something. People might laugh. I will die. <laughs> like there are a lot of questions you're asking, and when you do speak publicly, you get super nervous, and you start getting like, confused and you know, and I used to be like that too. I, I had a really hard time speaking in public. I don't have a hard time anymore because I pretend all of you are gummy bears. And I don't, none of it doesn't mean anything to me anymore, right? So, but when you are speaking publicly, you can become confused. Now, you, some of you do presentations for work. And you have a PowerPoint presentation, and you have hands, notes in your hand, 20 pages, and this and that, and you go there, as soon as they, they put the mic on you, you're like, uh, 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 you had point A, B, C, D, and E, you ended up doing X, W, P, K, 4, 37, and came back down and say, how was it? <laughs> no clarity in speech. He's saying, Uhlul min because he's asking Allah, Ya Allah, I want to have clear speech. I want to, so anybody who hears me knows where it began and where it ended. A clear beginning, a clear middle, a clear end. It's heading in a, in a straight line. You see? This is a part of the construction of speech. Sometimes, for example, you hear a khutbah and at the end of it you have no idea what just happened. You know, at least those of you that were awake. He said a lot of things, but I don't know what he actually said. And it's true, I do listen to a lot of ministers, preachers. I listen to them. And for a lot of them, you can listen to them for an hour, and at the end of it, if you were to ask me, what did he talk about, I'll say, I have no idea. He said a lot of things though. There's no clarity in the speech. You have friends like that. Your friends can talk to you for 30 minutes on the phone. And at the end of it, you'll say, what are you saying? And you're afraid to ask, because they'll try to explain to you in another 30 minutes. <laughs> Not say anything at all. You know? <laughs> Untie the knot in my tongue, give me clarity in my speech. It's beautiful because it actually covered the literal and the figurative together. Literally, it also means that I get tongue-tied. In other words, Musa السلام, had a stutter. So he couldn't pronounce words, he gets stuck. You know, and people who have a stutter, and they have that kind of problem in their speech, when they get angry, it gets worse. When they get nervous, it gets worse. And when they are under pressure, it gets worse. Musa السلام, is going to be under a lot of pressure, because he has to debate with Fir'aun. Fir'aun, by the way, one of those savviest politicians. Can you imagine someone who has a stutter in their speech, is going to go on national television, and speak against one of the most aggressive journalists? You know? You can, this guy's gonna get slaughtered. So he's just asking Allah, Ya Allah, I, you know I have a knot in my tongue, just give me clarity. The other thing that's really important here, and we'll see that on Sunday night, the, the explanation of, you know, Wahlul Uqtatan Min Lisani. If you talk to a really smart politician in a debate, which Fir'aun is a really smart politician, then they know how to throw you off. Like you came and you prepared your speech and you were going to talk about this, but they came and they came, you question, attack you this way, that way, the other way, the other way. And you're like, oh, what's going on? I, I'm confused. Where do I go? Sometimes you don't know where, how to answer the questions, how to navigate them, because you're just getting attacked. And Fir'aun is very good at attacking. So even a normal person who, had, who knows what they're talking about would get confused. You know this happens on television all the time, right? 
They'll invite an academic or a scholar, someone who knows what they're talking about. But the, the host of the show, like in America we have the Fox TV channel, right? You have the host who will attack this guy from every angle and even though this guy knows what he's talking about, he got confused and he looked stupid in front of everyone. And they're very good at making you look bad. They're very good at that. Fir'aun is going to be very good at that. And Musa is going to walk into his court on his terms and he's going to have to deal with him directly. That's not going to be easy. So he asked Allah, Ya Allah, I need clarity in my speech. I can't afford to stutter. Because if I stutter even a little bit, he'll say, what happened? Oh, you can't talk? You can't answer my question? You got nervous? What's going on? Why can't you do it? And he actually did it. Musa was speaking with him and he said, this guy? He can't even clear, clearly speak. Look at him. Look at him stuttering. <laughs> He's going to debate with me? That's literally what he did. Imagine that happening to you in a, in a conversation. Hey, what's the matter with you? You can't talk? Huh? <laughs> this is what Fir'aun is doing to Musa This is my, one of my favorite du'as actually. Why? Because this dua helped me in public speaking. My teacher told me, use this dua when you're about to go speak, give a talk. I do it every time. And when I don't do it, you can tell. Nobody knows what I talked about. Nobody knows. The first time I went to speak, I had these notes prepared. Five pages of notes for a 15-minute khutbah. And I was gonna, you know, and I got up there and the, the words on the page crawled away. <laughs> and I'm like holding this thing like uh, And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says Where is it? Where is it? Where does he say it? Where does he say it? <laughs> and at the end of the khutbah and the salah I made a mistake in the fatiha I was that nervous I started with the surah When I had to correct me Alhamdulillah <laughs> Alhamdulillah like, Oh yeah Alhamdulillah It was horrible And when the khutbah was done People came up to me and patted me on the shoulder It's okay it's okay. <laughs> there was like a condolence at the end of my first khutbah. You know? But then I realized the value of Wahlul Uqtatam bil Lisani. It's the dua of confidence. It's the dua of confidence. Okay, so now I'm going to give you your next break.